0: The following is a sermon from Living Hope Bible Church in Port Rowan, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit livinghopebiblechurch.ca. Well, good morning, church. Good to be back with you again this morning. I cannot help but uh, just think about where, where we're headed this morning, and I wanted to just leave you one question. And if you have a pen, uh, I want you to write this question down because I'm going to uh, do what what we would call the the absolute no no of say production for television. All right, this is this is the no no of production. Write this question down, and then I'm going to give you about a minute of of clear silence for you to think through the answer to this question. All right, there's there's only one point. This is not your typical sermon this week of, okay, I'm going to give you three to five points. It's one point, one point only, and very easily for you to recognize. All right, here's what I want you to write down. Simply write this, who rules your life? All right, write that down. Think through it for a moment. Uh, We're all gonna have that awkward pause now. You ready for it? Who rules your life? Write the answer to that question. All right, do you have it? What did you write down? You can't tell me. You know, you can't tell me what it is. Do you write down that, you know, uh, your boss rules your life? Did you write down that uh, the pursuit of money rules your life? Did you write down that God rules your life? Uh, There are so many different uh, options of what we could write down for who rules our life. But here in Daniel chapter 4, we're about to see one of the most amazing things happen in the book of Daniel. This is a massive chapter. It is huge. I mean, there are so many verses. It spans so many pages in my Bible. But we are going to get through the whole thing this morning. And I want to start with just kind of breaking down... This but this chapter, it starts with bookends. All right, so there are bookends on each of this chapter, and you might be saying to yourself, okay, I, I get bookends. For me, you know, there are some certain things in life that, that really frustrate me. I was talking this morning to... To, to the staff, to Shar and to Josh, and I was saying, one thing that really kind of annoys me is those little notifications on your iPhone when they're always read. If I see them on somebody else's phone, I want to take that phone and I want get, to get rid of their notifications. Uh, one friend I have has something like 54,000 emails that are unread. I'm like, Who can leave that number on the envelope? The other thing that uh, drives me crazy is when I'm trying to put books on my shelf and I'm mixing paperback books with hardcover books, I have to make sure there are hardcover, stable, firm books on either end because I don't like when the books are falling over to one side. In this chapter, we have two firm bookends that keep this whole chapter together. And if you take these two bookends off, the whole thing falls apart. And it's absolutely a meaningless story in the book of Daniel. So let's dig right in and begin to look at bookend number one. Number verse one of chapter four says, Nebuchadnezzar... The king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live on all the earth. May your peace abound. It seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the most high God has done for me. How great are your signs and how mighty are your wonders... His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. So just in these first three verses, we have the beginning of the bookend. So I want you to understand this chapter as a whole. This chapter, Nebuchadnezzar is writing. If you look at verse 4, you are going to see how the pronouns change, and it goes from Nebuchadnezzar talking about himself in third person, verses one to three, to talking to him about himself in first person in verse four. And what you're doing is bookend number one is that you see. That Nebuchadnezzar is recognizing God, the God, Jehovah, as the most high God. He's praising his signs. He's praising his wonders. He's praising his everlasting kingdom. And he's praising his rule. These are all the things that Nebuchadnezzar is doing. So right here, he's giving us really the end of the story as well as he will do this later, and then he's going to tell us how he got to his position in verse 4. So in verse 4, he's going to tell us how his heart changed, how his heart was transformed by the Most High God. You see, chapter 4 is so much different than all the other chapters we've looked at, because in the rest of the chapters, chapters 1 to 3, Every time Nebuchadnezzar has an interaction with God through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or through Daniel, he recognizes God as one of the gods in the multiple gods that he would worship. Uh, We know that he worshipped multiple gods because he named Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego after his Babylonian gods. But you see, the transformation that's occurring here, and we will see in just a moment, is he is now recognizing in book end number one that God is the most high God, that God is ruler over all, his dominion lasts forever and ever. So now let's look at what brought Nebuchadnezzar to this point. All right, verse four, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house, and I was flourishing in my place. I saw a dream and it made me fearful. And these fantasies as I lay in my bed and visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all of the wise men of Babylon. That they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. The magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, the diviners... They came in and I related the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation. Does this sound familiar? This is, this is just like Daniel chapter 2. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, you remember he had a a vision of the statue, and the statue representing four kingdoms. And, And that too, that dream alarmed him and woke him up. The difference here is that this time, instead of not telling all of his wise men the dream, he tells them the dream, but there is nobody who can interpret that dream. Just like in chapter 2 we saw when Daniel came on the scene, so too we see it here. Verse 8, again, I'll say it over and over. The word but is the greatest word in the Bible because it tells us a contrast between two things. Usually tells us between good and bad. In this case, it says, Daniel came in before me, in verse 8, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. In whom a spirit of the holy gods, and I related the dream to him, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you, no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream, which I have seen a long time with its interpretation. Did you see the description of Daniel twice in there? Repeated two times. You might want to underline that in your Bible, but twice he says you have a spirit of the holy gods in you. And he says that no mystery will baffle you. So, so he knows that of all the magicians and all the people that he's got in place that Daniel is the one who can give the interpretation of this dream. Now listen to this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. These were the visions, verse 10, in my mind. As I lay on bed, I was looking and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong and its height reached to the sky. It was as visible to the end of the whole earth Its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit was abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the sky dwelt in its branches. All the living creatures fed themselves from it. I was looking in the visions in my mind, and as I lay on my bed, behold, an angelic watcher and a holy one descended from heaven, he shouted out and spoke as follows, chop down that tree and cut its branches, strip its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, yet leave the stump with its root in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his, his mind be changed from that of a man and let beast's mind be given to him. Let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence by the decree of the angelic watcher. The decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows on him as he wishes, and sets over the lowliest man. He says, this is the dream that I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. And we'll stop there for a minute. Let me, let me paraphrase this dream for you. The dream is simply this. The dream is the picture of this beautiful, abundant, massive tree that can be seen through all of the earth. Uh, I was out this morning and I was looking on the, the front lawn of the church and and we were talking about real quick, hey, where, where's everybody going to sit in two weeks when the church can come back together and meet? Where's the worship team going to stand? And the first thing everybody looked at was the big tree out front and said, you know what, everybody can sit under that tree in the shade and be protected from the sun, and and this is the description of this tree. Look at everything that's happening in this tree. It's a beautiful, abundant tree. There's so much fruit on it. There's food for all that people can get into this tree. There's shade under it. All of the birds of the sky, they can live within this beautiful tree. This tree is a flourishing tree. It's an amazing tree to be a part of. And yet, here the angelic watcher says, cut down that tree. We'll see in just a few moments as we look into the interpretation of this dream. But but nobody wants to chop down a tree that is that beautiful and be able to shade and feed and house every living being. Uh, when, when we went in our, our family, we went to, to the animal kingdom at Disney World once and and. It was fake. Kids, plug your ears. It wasn't a real tree. But you know what? The thing is, when you walked into the animal kingdom and you looked and you saw the beauty of this tree, and then everybody would hang out till dark and watch it light up, and they would be like, that is the most beautiful tree I have ever seen. Uh, Everything can live in it. This is the tree that's here. But the purpose of this is the angelic watcher says, cut it down, strip its foliage. One of the most amazing things I ever saw was this machine that comes and wraps itself around a tree and shakes it, and shakes it so hard that all the the cherries fall, fall off and then are collected. Strip its foliage, strip its leaves off, take the home away for all the birds. And then it says... Interestingly enough, it, it turns this tree into a hymn in verse 15. It says, leave the stump with its root and its ground, but band it with iron and bronze. The idea here is to hold it so it's not to uproot it and totally remove it, but to stop it from growing. This is what the band of iron is going to do. It's going to stop it from growing and flourishing for a time. Verse 16, you see how it changes? It changes, starts to move the tree to a hymn. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. And let it become a beast. Let the mind be given to him. For seven periods of time, seven years, you can write in the margin of your Bible. For seven years, this, this individual will be changed from the, heart of a, from the mind of a man to the mind of a beast. Why? Why? in order that this person, that this tree, that this representation of the image would recognize that God is the most high God, he is ruler over all of mankind, and he does what he will. Look down at your your paper that you wrote out. What did you write down on that paper of who, who rules your life? Do you see what God is doing here in this story? Do you see what God is forming and shaping? He's asking that very question, who rules over your life? Look at verse 18. This is the dream which I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation. None of the wise men of my kingdom are able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the third time in this passage, in the first 18 verses, You can do it because you have the spirit of the gods in you. Do you see how Nebuchadnezzar is recognizing there is something very much different in the life of Daniel compared to everybody else? But I want to pause here for one moment before we go on because I want you to understand something. I want you to pay close attention what we're looking at in Daniel chapter four has nothing to do with Nebuchadnezzar and has nothing to do with Daniel. This is all about God. This entire chapter is about God. These two men, Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, are, are pawns in God's greater plan for what's about to happen These are tools that are being used for God to make his plan come to fruition. Verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled. His thoughts alarmed him. The king responded and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Now, if only, my Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. Can you see the, can you see the mutual respect that they, these, these men have for each other? But you see, God, in his wisdom, he gives Daniel the interpretation and it immediately alarms and appalls Daniel. Daniel. I wonder wonder if in that meeting you could see in Daniel's face that there was something different that Nebuchadnezzar knew he was about to get news that he did not want to get. Verse 20 says, The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth, whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant, in which food for all under the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the sky lodged. It is you, O king, for you have grown great, you have grown strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky and your dominion to the end of the earth. Do you you see what Daniel's telling Nebuchadnezzar? He's saying, you, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the tree. You are the one that has become so great and so abundant and so fruitful and so rich. You are the one who is known throughout all of the nations. There is no greater power on this earth at this time in history than the kingdom of Babylon. Nobody can come up against Babylon. Babylon has taken out the Assyrians. Babylon has taken out Jerusalem and Judah. He has taken them captive. There's nobody that can touch this man. Do you see it all the way back in verse 1? And verse 2, it says that when he was, in verse 4, sorry, I was at ease in my house. I was flourishing in my palace. I've got it all. I have everything I need. Do you know what he had? He had the vessels of God from the temple in his own place of his own God's. He had all of the riches and the blessings and, and the treasures from Jerusalem. But not only that, he, he was able to go in and conquer God's people. Now, now you might be, be thinking, how does this work into the time of history? I will tell you this, that when Nebuchadnezzar went into to Jerusalem that first time, God and his spirit had not yet left the temple. The spirit of God will not leave the temple until Ezekiel and the second besieging of Jerusalem and Judah. The sovereign God overall allowed Nebuchadnezzar to go in And take the best of the best back into captivity. Untouchable. Let's continue and look. It's you, O king. You are the king. But, verse 23, in that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one descending from heaven, saying, chop down the tree and destroy it. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground but with a band of iron around it in the new grass of the field, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time pass over him. Do you see what he's telling him? He's telling him that Nebuchadnezzar, you are the tree. You, Nebuchadnezzar, are about to be chopped down you, Nebuchadnezzar, are about to spend seven years in the wilderness eating the same food that the animals have been eating. You are going to be like the beasts of the earth for seven years. He says in verse 24, This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the most high which has come upon my Lord the king. You, will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place, be with the beasts of the field, and you will be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven for seven periods of time will pass over to you for one sole purpose, and that sole purpose is that you will recognize the most holy God, that he is the ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows on him whatever, whoever he wishes. Uh, we We need to pause right here in the text we We cannot go any further than this right here. You see. What is happening is you have Nebuchadnezzar who's walking around his his area and his kingdom and he is flourishing in it. He's in a time of peace. There is not one enemy who's going to come up against it. He has this vision of this beautiful flourishing tree. That tree is going to be chopped down and the interpretation is you, Nebuchadnezzar, are going to be chopped down. You are going to be driven away from mankind. You are going to be eating of the beasts of the field. You are going to be eating grass. You're going to be driven drenched with the dew of heaven. You're not going to have a roof over your head. You are going to be out so far from your kingdom until you recognize one thing, and that one thing is that you recognize that God is in charge. That's the interpretation of this dream. Uh, How are we doing with, with the note that you put down the question, who rules over your life? You see, much like in the time of Nebuchadnezzar, it's sometimes really hard for you and I to recognize that God is ruler in our, in our lives when we are flourishing. When everything is, is going well for us, we, we have a hard time recognizing that all of that comes from God. This is the interpretation and this is the dream that has been laid out for, for Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, three times... Right Four times into this chapter so far. If you'll, if you'll turn back with me uh, all the way to chapter 4, verse 2, I want you to see this. And, and if you have a pen, underline it in your Bible. Chapter 4, verse 2, it says that the signs and wonders are declared with which the most high God. Underline most high God in verse 2. Flip over and you'll see down in verse 17, it says that the most high is ruler over mankind. Again, referencing the most high God. Verse 24, it tells us this interpretation, O king, is the decree of the most high God. Verse 25, it says recognizing that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows on it, Whoever he wishes. Four times in this chapter, the Most High God is referenced. The Hebrew word for this name of God is El El Yon. And it means that God is sovereign, that God is ruler over all. Uh, this, is, this is not the first time. Uh, in the scriptures in the Old Testament that the Most High God is referenced to. Flip back and, and follow with me through a number of passages, and let's look at where this El yon is used in scripture. And the first is uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 26. It's used right in the uh, the fiery furnace here, and here is what it says, okay? It says, then, verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace in the blazing fire, And he responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, come out, you servants of the most high God, El Elyon. Uh, Let's look at uh, Genesis chapter 14, verses uh, 19 to 22, and let's look at another reference to El Elyon. So Genesis chapter 14, uh, verses 19 to 22 uh, this is the time of, and, and don't email me about this, all right? This is, who's this Melchizedek guy? Don't worry about that right now. Let's look at verse, uh, start at 17. After his return from the defeat at uh, Shendelamar, the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out and meet him at the valley of Shiva. That is the king's valley. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out the bread and wine, and now he is the priest of the most High God. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave them a tenth of all. Verse 22, Abram said, King of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord, the God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal among anything that is yours, for fear that I would say I made Abram rich. Right here, Genesis 14 verses 19 to 22. All these passages we just looked at—the very first time God Most High is used in the Scripture. So you can write right there in that margin, God Most High, El, el Yon, Sovereign over all. Look at with me, Deuteronomy chapter 32, uh, verse 8. So Deut- Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. And listen to what Moses writes here. Uh, when the Most High God, El Elyon, gave the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of man, he set boundaries of the people according to the number of the sons of Israel. Another reference to, to El Yon. Look at Psalm uh, 47, verse 2. Psalm 47, Verse 2 says, uh, for the Lord most high is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Look at the next verse. He subdues people under us and nations under our feet. The sovereign God, the God Elyon, God most high. Look at verse 50, uh, Psalm 57 verse 2 and follow along and see what he says here about the God most high it says david says i will cry to the god most high why will he cry because it's the god who accomplishes all things for me this this is the god who is ruler over all the earth he is sovereign over all He is the one who puts kings in place. He is the one who rules all that we have around us. And the sole purpose of this dream is that Nebuchadnezzar will fall on his knees and recognize the sovereignty of God. God most high. Well, you must be Wondering, well, what happens? What's, what's the end of the story? What, what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Well, let's start at verse 27. Therefore, O king, as Daniel says, may my advice be pleasing to you. Look what he says. Break away from your sins by doing righteousness. Break away from your iniquities Nebuchadnezzar, show mercy to the poor and do this so that you may prolong your time in prosperity. Do you see see what's happening here? Do, Do you see why there's only one point this week? There is no other point that we need to look at. Nebuchadnezzar prospering at peace in his palace. We're about to see his heart. But 27 is the call to repentance. It's the call to to have love for other people. It's the call to not build your own kingdom. It's the call to fall away from doing sin and practice righteousness and in this you will prosper verse 28 all this happened to nebuchadnezzar the king now verse 29 if you know if you're a if you're a precept student if you if you like to mark your bible you you would be marking verse 29 and the first thing you would see in verse 29 Is you would see a time phrase. And and that time phrase, do you see it? You looking at it? Twelve months later. One year after he has this dream, he gets the interpretation. He is told right out that he is going to go crazy. That he is going to end up in the wilderness. That he is going to eat the grass of the of the ground, like just like the cattle will. Look at twelve months later. <clears throat> He's walking on the roof of his royal palace. Um, just quick side note to all this: nothing goes well for kings when they walk on the roof of their palace. Just stay off the roof. Uh, David can attest to that. Verse 30, the king reflected, and he said, is this not Babylon? Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. Um do you see the problem? Do you do you see what's happening here? Okay, just, just to keep us in context of the entire book of Daniel, this is not the first time that we have really got a good look into Nebuchadnezzar's heart. In, in the previous chapter, we got a really good look into his heart because what we saw was that there was, in Daniel 2, a statue dream, and he was told that a stone was gonna come and take all of these Um, kingdoms and wipe them out and the stone would be that would stay forever and yet Nebuchadnezzar all he heard was I'm in charge I'm the head and therefore build a statue and worship me and even though he is advised by Daniel to repent of his sins to do righteousness and show mercy to the poor and move as far away from your iniquities as possible one year later, he stands on his palace roof, and he says, look what I have built. El Elyon, the God who is sovereign over all, is about to do a major work in his heart. Look at this, verse 31. Remember, just remember who's writing this. Nebuchadnezzar. While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared. Sovereignty has been removed from you. Hmm. Nebuchadnezzar fails to recognize that God is the God of the Most High. That he is the one who is sovereign over all. He has one year, if you want to see the grace of God at work here, one year to come to a point of repentance before judgment comes. And Nebuchadnezzar cannot get the words out of his mouth before God speaks from heaven and fulfills the vision. I want to show you um, the difference between Nebuchadnezzar and another king. I want you to turn with me to uh, Psalm chapter 21. I want you to see what it's like because I want you to see what it's like for somebody who is going to recognize God as the Most High. I want you to pause and listen to the words of David in Psalm 21 as he recognizes everything that God has done for him. It says in verse Verse 1 of Psalm 21. O Lord, in your strength, the king will be glad. And in your salvation, how greatly the king will rejoice. You, God, have given the king his heart's desire. You have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with the blessings of good things. You set a fine crown crown of gold on his head. Uh, He asked life of you. You gave him life. You gave him the length of days forever and forever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty your place is upon him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him joyful with gladness in your presence. Do Do you hear the recognition? Do you hear what David's doing here? Nothing I have in my life comes from anything but you, God. You put the crown on my head. You are the one who gives me splendor. You are the one who gives me success. You are the one who gives me life. You are the one who does all these things. Look at verse 7. For the king trusts in the Lord and through the loving kindness of El Elyon the god most high the king will not be shaken do you see david's heart do you see the difference between david and nebuchadnezzar do you see what's happening here Nebuchadnezzar fails to recognize the God as the God who is most high, and David does. And David recognizes that the kingdom was given to him, and David prospers in his leadership. Verse 31, "While the word was with the king, in his mouth a, voice, a mouth, his voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. You are now going to be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You'll be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass. And it will pass over to you until you do what? What? That you recognize that God is the most high and ruler over the realm of mankind and it bestows on whoever he wishes. Uh, verse 33, uh, another time reference which gives us an amazing picture of the sovereignty of God. You ready? Immediately. He wasn't even getting the words out of his mouth that he had built the palace. And the word came down from heaven, and immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws." you need to write a note in your Bible beside verses 33 and 34. And the note is simply this. God is in control. What God says in his word will come to fruition. You see right here in this very moment, the fact that he would not recognize God as most high and he took credit for what God allowed him to do for himself. What did you you write on that paper? Who did you write that rules over your life? Because I want to ask you right now that if you wrote God, is it true? Does he... Rule all aspects of your life? Do you take the decisions that you have in life before God? Do you ask for direction in the things that you should be doing? Do you only take uh, the big in sermonical, miracle-type things to God and only lay those at his feet and tell yourself that you can handle everything else, but I only need God when it's too big for me to handle. Because, see, if you wrote God on that piece of paper that he rules over your life, and yet you don't allow him to handle the little things, God does not fully rule over your life. Do you recognize that God is sovereign over all? Remember what I said? The word, but the greatest, the greatest word in Scripture, verse 34. This is the end of your bookend. All right? You've got all of this, all these paperback books that are kind of falling apart and these moving pieces in between, but the bookend of each side of this chapter comes right here. But at the end of that period, at the end of seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High. I praised and honored him who lives forever For his dominion is everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures for generation to generation. The words of verse 34 are the same words of verses 1 to 3. Do you see it? He starts with, God is the ruler most high. His dominion lasts forever and ever. He is the ruler over all. He is sovereign over all. And then he says, let me tell you how I got there. And that whole story he tells in my ignorance, in my arrogance, in my pride, God wrecked me. God humbled me to show me that I have nothing in my life without him. Verse 35 says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. Nothing. But he, El Yon, the most sovereign God, does according to his will in the hosts of heaven and among the earth. Wait for it. Nobody can ward off his hand or question him and say, what have you done? God is sovereign over all. God is completely in control. Let me ask you a question really quickly, and it is this. How's it going in your life right now? Do you feel like Nebuchadnezzar? Do you feel like you are one who's kind of in the wilderness and and struggling to, to keep things together? Are you going through storms and waves in your life where you're trying to control everything on your own? Are you, are you moving things from one credit card to another credit card to just keep yourself from being in debt? Are you doing all of these different things to work out plans just to keep your head above the water? Or are you going to allow God the Most High to give you direction, to allow him to rule over your life, to take those burdens that, that you may have and, and take them off your shoulders and, and let him carry them. Read the rest of Psalm 21 on your own this week and you'll see that how David had to, to lay his enemies before, before God to allow God to take care of them. Did you write on that paper that God rules your life? And is it true? Look at verse 36. It says, At the time, at that time, my reason returned to me. My majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. My counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty, and surpassing greatness was added to me. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are true, and his ways are just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Are you recognizing that God is the most high in your life? Does he rule over you? You see, I wonder what it was like to be in Babylon in those seven years. I know that in my travels to Israel, they say that the wilderness is just outside of the city, so that you can actually see the wilderness. And, and within minutes of walking, or you know, in our day in a bus ride, you can be in the wilderness. Didn't people see Nebuchadnezzar at his worst? Did they see him looking like he had, you know, eagle's feathers and and bird claws of his hands and, and look and say, oh, how the mighty have fallen. And then did they see this restoration when people began to seek him out again and his kingdom and his majesty returned to him? Why? Because he recognized that he never had his kingdom and his majesty without God. You see, before in the previous chapters, we might ponder and we might think to ourselves, yes, Nebuchadnezzar recognized God. No, he didn't. Here in chapter four, we actually see heart transformation in an individual who was so arrogant and prideful and he humbled himself before God and was blessed because of it. So so before we, before we wrap today, I need to tell you what God... Rules over you might say yes everything he rules over everything that's that's good head knowledge stuff you know that we know he rules over everything but but let's take let's take a look at some of the things that God rules over Uh, Psalm 103 verse uh, 19 so turn to Psalm 103 19 and see what we have here okay this is what God rules over The Lord has established His thrones in heavens and His sovereignty rules over all. That's a simple one. We can easily remember His sovereignty rules over all. Isaiah, look at Isaiah chapter 14, verse 24. In Isaiah 14, verse 24, it says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, just as I intended, so it has happened. Just as I have planned, so it will stand. Uh, The Lord is sovereign over all and his word is at most high. What he says will come to fruition. What he intends to do, it will happen. He is ruler over all. You know who fully understands the sovereignty of God? Let's go and look at the book of Job. And so look at Job chapter 42, uh, verse 2, and see what the wonderful man, Job, who had really bad friends and not so great of a wife who told him to curse God, listen to what he says regarding God. Job answered the Lord, verse 1, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. What did Job know? Job know that God is sovereign over all, that he is in control of everything, and his plan will move forward. Let me give you one more, Psalm 139, and, and look at Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16, and, and wait for it, we know this, we know these verses, right? But look at what he rules over all. For you, God, formed my inward parts, You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, skillfully wrought at the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all things written. The days that were ordained for me when yet there was not one of them. Do you know what God is in control of? God is in control of life and of death. Our days, they are ordained for us. They were ordained for us before we were even born. God knew the beginning and God knows the end. This is why it is so important. You don't know what tomorrow brings. And that's why it's vital for us in this day that we recognize God as most high. That he is the ruler over our lives. Listen to what what Jesus tells us about the sovereignty of God in Matthew chapter 6 verses 24 to 34. This is, this is an important message for us as we, we begin to wrap this up and we, we close out. Listen, he says, nobody can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted, devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? You have been worried, can at And you, uh, being worried, can you add one single hour to his life? Why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace... He will not much more clothe you, you of little faith. Do not worry then saying what we will eat or what we will drink or what we will wear for clothing. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all the things for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow For tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Um, I'm going to challenge you this week. uh, Go back through this passage and just put a circle around the word worry. Five times it's mentioned in this passage. Might it be that when we worry, we elevate ourselves above the most high God? That when we worry, we try to take things into our own hands and we fail to recognize the sovereignty of God over our lives. Let me take you to one, one more passage and it is 1 Peter chapter five. Listen to what we read here and as Peter quotes, 1 Peter chapter five, verses five to seven He says, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. One thing that you can put in the margin beside this verse is simply this Know your place. Know your place in this world. Peter tells us that we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and look at that, so that, a term of conclusion, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Visudhi says, Cast all your anxiety. Cast all your worry on him. Why? God is in control. God is sovereign over all. You see, Daniel chapter four is not about Nebuchadnezzar. It is not about the wisdom that Daniel has interpreting the dream. It is about God it is about recognizing that God is the most high, that he is ruler over all. And what God wants is simple. It may seem complicated to you, but it is very simple. He wants you to humble yourself and recognize that he rules all. Look at your paper. Look at your note. Look at the answer to the question we started with. Who rules your life? Is it God? And is it true? Father, we do thank you for what you are showing us in the scriptures today, especially through the example of the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Father, we know that Old Testament characters, Old Testament people are put in place to teach us a lesson. They are brought to to show us examples of how we can live. And Father, the example of Nebuchadnezzar this week, in the very fact that he once stood and took all the glory for himself, that he bookended this chapter, giving you all the glory. Father, may that be our heart's cry today, that we would show you all the glory, that we would not take credit for anything in our lives. And for Father, for those who are listening on this YouTube that have yet to even give their lives to you, I pray that this be the day. Let this be the day they get on their hands and their knees and they recognize that you are sovereign and ruler over all. That you are the one who is in control of the beginning and the end. That you are the one and the only one worthy to be served. That you are the one who can take control of their lives.